Welcome to the Perfectly Imperfect Musician, a monthly podcast and safe space for professional musicians, students, and teachers. My name is Teresa Powell, your humble host, and this month we have Dr. Todd Fish with us. long time no listen welcome back this is episode number 10 and I am so glad to be sitting here and recording this episode once again Um, it seems really interesting after changing this podcast to a monthly podcast series that it's it's like so long since I talked to you even though I have another podcast which is also a monthly podcast and it for some reason doesn't feel like as long of a stretch so anyway um welcome back and uh this month i've got a great guest for you um another awesome faculty member of stephen f austin state university here in nacogdoches texas dr todd fish and the choir department and um I don't have a whole lot to talk about this month in the the front of this episode, but I just want to say that I hope you guys are all hanging in there and, you know, the middle of, it's not quite the middle of the semester, but, you know, I'm starting to feel some pressure and I'm sure you are too. So just keep on keeping on. Lots of lots of performances going on right now. Um, preparation for performances, conventions coming up this week. As I'm sure most of you listening to this podcast are probably going to be headed out to that Texas Music Music Educators Convention. If you're not listening to us from Texas, that's kind of our big deal around here. So it's a much needed break for all of us here in the area. So have fun and be safe and uh, learn some some stuff because we all know that we're there to learn and socialize but more so to learn so have fun and and uh and enrich yourself so um i know i'm gonna be there and hopefully won't spend too much money although i try to avoid the exhibit hall for that exact reason because something always ends up catching my eye and i know i'll be bringing my instrument this semester and i don't know it it's probably just going to be a a look around for me and eating a lot of really good mexican food that's on my my list as well so okay i um I want to plug a couple things. First off, um, if you haven't checked out my other podcast, it's called the the Film Music Nerds, um, and it is also a monthly podcast. And I host it with my friend Rebecca Nunez, and it's just a ton of fun. Um, if you you know if you love film music and you are kind of a nerd like us about it we just chat up you know anything you can possibly think of that has to do with like the big movie of the month um i know last year we did the greatest showman and so far we are up to like 275 uh downloads of that episode um and we had an, an amazing time recording it 
So get on there and listen to it. We're on SoundCloud. It's, uh, you know, same same deal, soundcloud.com forward slash film music nerds, where, you know, you can also find this, this podcast on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes. So if you are on Apple Podcasts, just go on there and search film music nerds and we'll pop right up. I'm pretty sure we're the only ones that have that name. And uh, so, yeah, go check us out. Subscribe and uh, rate us. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. And um, and we'll be popping out a new episode actually this week, probably tomorrow evening. And uh, we'll be discussing John Williams and the score from The Post and all the other stuff that John Williams does. We're going to be talking about that as well. Okay, I do have some upcoming performances, but I'm not going to plug away on that. Um, the only one I'm going to say is we uh, are going to be doing a Pops concert here at Stephen F. Austin State University with the Orchestra of the Pines, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So if you're around, I'll get you dates on that later. Um, also, my graduate recital for this spring semester is coming up. That's going to be April the 5th at 7.30 in Cole Concert Hall here at SFA. And and um, so anyway, those that's all I've got. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll have a couple of student surveys and, uh, and our interview with Dr. Todd Fish. We're back. All right. So I've got two listener surveys this month. And in honor of our esteemed guest of the month, these are both, I believe, they are both vocalists. And the first one is from Anonymous. And they are a 20-year-old student. First thing they filled out was the practice room confessional. And... First off, I did this in the practice room and I'd have to go into hiding if anyone actually saw me do it. And they said, hold my tongue while I sing. Now, I'm not sure if they actually mean like index finger and thumb holding the tip of their tongue or in the metaphorical way. But I'm just for fun going to assume that he meant the first way. All right. Describe an issue you finally defeated during practice this week. And how did it make you feel? Annie, they said tongue tension. So apparently it wasn't the fun way that he was talking about holding his tongue. It was the other way. So hope you got rid of that tension. Okay. Describe any negative self-talk or reoccurring destructive thoughts you couldn't let go while in the practice room or rehearsal. And they said, I always compare myself to others and I, and it really gets to me sometimes. Don't we all? Don't we all? Okay. Um, finally, Anonymous filled out the I Wish My Teacher Knew survey. And they said, I wish my teacher knew when I am not getting something doing it over again just makes me more frustrated and like I can't do anything. I'm also very self-destructive. So when he gets mad at me for not doing something the first time, it's not good. So I try not to say things after every 
um, every survey because it can get kind of chatty, but I do have something to say about this, and I totally understand where you're coming from. I think sometimes it's harder to hear criticism from other people, and it's possible that deep down you agree with the things that your teacher is telling you, but it's harder to hear that criticism from somebody else um, because often it can come off as just them telling you that you're not good enough. So just remember, and I know this is easier said than done, but just remember that they are there to make you better and they are on your team. They're on your side. And I'm speaking from my teacher perspective on this. That I, I know that I've had students in middle school, high school, and at the university level that I'm sure I've made them feel at some point or another that I'm just complaining about how they're not good enough when that has never been my intention. So um, I always say if somebody's got a, we're going to call it a complaint. So, you know, pretend like you are in, say, say you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship. If your partner has something negative to say about you, even though you don't agree with it necessarily, it's coming from somewhere. So it's always, I think, healthy to take that criticism or that critique and analyze it and go, okay, well, if they're seeing it in that perspective, I wonder why. And if there's something that I'm doing that I might be able to, um, to look at. So anyway, just know that they're on your side. Your teacher is definitely on your side and they definitely don't think that you're not good enough. So thank you for filling that survey out. Um, okay. And then my second survey is I'm going to call them anonymous too, because they didn't put a screen name in. Um, but they're also a 20 year old musician, uh, duh musician. They're a 20 year old student. Uh, they filled out a practice room confessional. And they said, describe an issue that defeats you during practice this week. And they said, copious amounts of phlegm, not allowing me to even partially close my cords, which is why I knew that they were a vocalist on this one for sure. Although I think I've had some phlegm issues myself, but that's a different story. Okay. Uh, number two, I did this in the practice room and I'd have to go into hiding if anyone actually saw me do it. And they said nothing as of yet. So yay for not being weird. <laughs> Uh, okay. The number three, describe an issue you finally defeated during practice this week. And how did it make you feel? And they said, I didn't. So maybe they didn't practice this week. Uh, we'll just pretend we didn't hear that, but we still love you anyway. All right. And then number four, describe any negative self-talk, reoccurring destructive thoughts you couldn't let go while in the practice room or rehearsal. And they said, my voice sucks. I hate phlegm. I suck and can't, can't sing at all. I suck and I can't sing at all. So if you couldn't sing at all, you probably wouldn't have got accepted to this university. But I still know where you're coming from. I feel you. It's okay. Um, all right. They also filled out the Does That Make Me Crazy survey. 
and they said I used too many hand gestures while practicing or during lesson in rehearsal during performances does that make me crazy um as a singer it does not make you crazy now if you were a flutist I would definitely say you were crazy. <laughs> Unless you were playing a song that had a bunch of B's and G's and A's and A flats. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> but no, you're not crazy. Okay. Uh, lastly, I wish all, they put an all, they did the little arrow up in between wish and my and added all. So they said, I wish all my teachers knew that I have more than one class and I have to spend my time accordingly, even when it isn't on their schedule. And this is not the first time that I've read that that type of response from a student. And we all get it, man. It's, it's hard to fit it in. It is. And um, as a teacher, I try not to act like My lessons are the only lessons that they have, Um, but it is hard. We live in our own bubble. So anyway, if we could only say that to their face, but I would suggest probably don't do that. That's why anonymous surveys exist. Okay, so... Now, um, before we get to the interview, I have a quick article for you guys, and I found this on The Independent. Um, It's a British online blog, newspaper, Um, and I just wanted to talk about stress, and I wanted to talk about um, anxiety as a general topic this month, just because, I don't know, I was just feeling a lot of stress and anxiety today, and I figured, well, might as well talk about it with you guys so this article is called stress takes toll on strung out musicians and it's written by uh, glenda cooper um i'll put the link in the show notes for y'all so you can read the whole thing but anyway i'll just read a couple of paragraphs for many the life of the musician would seem ideal a job doing what you enjoy but highly strung musicians are increasingly turning to gps to cope with the stresses of orchestra life um i guess general practitioners i would assume that's what gps are tyrannical conductors stage fright and awkward playing partners can all take their toll on performers And the British Performing Arts Medical Trust says that the everyday stresses of life in an orchestra can be just as acute as those of working in an office, but often go unrecognized. A survey carried out last year for the BPAMT found that depression among musicians is running at an unbelievably high level with 70% suffering performance anxiety. The research said that RSI, repetitive strain injury, suffered by musicians is linked far more to mental stress provoked by incompetent and overbearing conductors, inadequate or disorganized rehearsals, and incompatible desk partners than the physical demands of playing. The BPAMT now assigns doctors to 40 orchestras around Britain, including the London Symphony Orchestra and several other Doctors are on hand as stress counselors or to combat hearing problems, voice problems, or dystonia, loss of muscle control. 
Dr. Ann Fingret, chairman of the doctors group of the Association for Medical Advisors to British Orchestras, says musicians get ordinary conditions which can have different effects because they are musicians. Suppose you have high blood pressure. The treatment is usually one tablet in the morning. But if you're performing in an orchestra, the time you're under most pressure is in the evening. And of course, RSI can be a real problem, repetitive strain, if you're practicing six hours a day. The trust was set up in 1993 and says in the past four years it has seen RSI have among half itself among musicians. It is not just classical musicians, they say. We're here to help singers, dancers, actors, trapeze artists, you name it. So I think what they're saying is that we encounter stress throughout the day, not just in the morning when we're starting our day. And it's it would be really nice to have trained therapists on staff to help with our strain as scholarly musicians, but we don't all play in the London Symphony Orchestra. So I think it's safe to say that there's no shame in seeking out a therapist, a counselor. Um, You know, if you are one that just cannot handle the strain of performance anxiety, like stage performance anxiety. Um, if, if you need beta blockers or whatever it is that they decide that is appropriate for you, there's no shame in that. And also, you don't have to share that with anyone. It's nobody's business. You know, whatever makes your job better, whatever makes your life easier, you know. I will never advocate using uh, drugs or alcohol to cope with stress and anxiety, but there are trained medical professionals out there that can definitely help manage the level of stress that's in your life. And this is coming out of my my mouth right now. Um, So anyway, just evaluate what your needs are and don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Your colleagues are probably doing a lot more on the side than you think. And there's probably more people in your life, even outside of the music circles that you run in that go to see therapists and 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 social workers or um, counselors or um, anything like that than you really think so take care of yourself all right okay so we're going to be back in a second and uh, we'll be talking with dr todd fish with Dr. Todd Fish at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. Thanks for sitting down with us, Dr. Fish. You're welcome. Um, before we get started talking about anything else, I'd like for you to give the listeners a short synopsis of your career from student musician to where you are today and kind of some of the things that got you to where you are in your career now. Well, uh, I grew up in Lima, Ohio. And I was very involved in uh, orchestra and choir all the way through school. Um, <clears throat> my 17th birthday, I uh, saw a performance of uh, Mahler's Eighth Symphony with the Columbus Symphony and Chorus. And I was so blown away by that performance, I said, I want to do that. I didn't know if I wanted to be a conductor or if I wanted to be a singer, but I knew that I just wanted to do something like that. So. Um, 
I was a freshman music major for one semester at Bowling Green State University. And the guy that I went to Bowling Green to study with became the director of choral activities at Stephen F. Austin State University. So after one semester, not knowing anybody else in Texas, I moved to Nacogdoches. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, just to go study with this guy because I didn't want to what if myself mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't, my personality being the way that it is, it would have gnawed away at me Yeah. that um, if I wouldn't have gone to do yeah. that. I'm going to move this a little bit closer so to you. I, um, I, um, so I, I did my undergrad at, at SFA and then I, um, I taught public school for uh, three years. I, I taught two years in Amarillo and one year in Longview. Then I came back and I did a master's at SFA. And I started off at SFA. I, I was going to be a, a voice teacher. And I, was a, I came back as a performance major. And um, I missed the choir thing so bad that I, that I switched my degree to conducting. And I actually was the first person to get the Master of Music in Conducting oh, at wow. SFA, that, because before it had just been a Master of Arts. Yeah. And um, so I got, I got the, the, the MM, and then I taught for six years at uh, Seguin High School uh, in uh, Seguin, Texas, and in the San Antonio area, and inherited a program that was, they were about ready to, to kill it when I got there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had 79 kids, grades 6 through 12, enrolled in choir. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time I, I left, we had 320 and were a strong program. Had all, wow. had all staters four out of the six years that I was there. And, and That's uh, awesome. <laughs> so we, 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 built, we built a really good program there. And I, uh, I then um, did my... Uh, my doctorate at the University of Kansas. From there, now to doctoral school, the the job market was was not great. That was when the the floor kind of fell through on the economy, and people were getting laid off. Right. And and I I really wasn't a very good interview at that point. I really didn't know how to do it. So I I, I got more interviews than all of my colleagues. But they all got the one job that they interviewed for, and I didn't get any of the four that huh. I was a finalist for. Okay, I'm I'm gonna put a pin in that, and <laughs> yeah. we'll come back to okay. it later. All right. Yes, okay, so. yes. And um, so then uh, I I took a job. Uh, I went back to teach in high school, and I was taught at Round Rock High School for three years. Um, and I left there in 2000, in the summer of 2012, and I took my dream high school job at Lubbock Coronado High School. Um, and, you know, this is a storied program. You know, mm -hmm. Ken Fulton, who was the longtime director of choral activities at LSU, that was his last high school teaching job. Oh, wow. So that, and, you say it was your dream high school job. What exactly like bullet list what made it your well your dream in, high school in, job. In, in 1998 I heard the um, the Coronado Corral sing at TMEA ah. and it was it was a college choir you know that yeah. was that was yeah. the, that was the heyday of the choir I mean all of the the Texas Tech faculty Carl Dent Gerald Dolter and other people that were on the Texas Tech faculty who were in their 40s at that point, all of their kids were in that high school 
Coronado Corral. Oh wow! And it was it was just a it was just an amazing performance. And uh, and I always said I'm going to be I'm going to direct that choir. You know. So when that job came open, when when Brett Farr, who had been there for 19 years and had three TMEA choirs and two ACDA honor choirs, I said, I when it came open, I thought, well, I'm going to apply for it and. They basically they hired me as I was getting on the plane to come come back to to Austin. Nice. And uh, <clears throat> so I taught there for a year, and um, my my wife and I we we loved living in Lubbock. You know, I loved I loved the kids. I, I loved teaching at Coronado High School. I loved the staff there. They're very supportive. The head football coach's son was was in my varsity choir, you know, and here yeah. he, here he was. He was this six one, six foot two, <laughs> two hundred eighty pound moose, and you'd say, "Randall, you ready to play tonight?" Yes, sir. He's his first tenor, first tenor in my choir. You know, you know that's kind of a. I find that that's kind of a Texas thing. Yeah, you know, to have the the quarterback of the football team yeah. in, in the band and in the choir and all yeah. of that. Well, now that now that wasn't so much so in. Uh, in, in in the Austin area, they were very you know they didn't do everything. Okay. And yeah. but um, but yeah, but I mean it was it was just a great place and you know and, and I'll never forget it was a Friday afternoon my I called my wife and I said hey why don't we why don't we join the church this Sunday we were going to St John's Methodist Church and and um, she said sure it sounds good and and we had always said I'm so happy here I'll retire from Coronado the only way. I would ever leave Coronado is if SFA called. And I literally got off the phone with my wife that Friday afternoon and um, talking about joining the church. And Dr. King from SFA called me and said that the person who was the associate director of Coral Activities had just resigned and they were going to name a visiting professor. And, and they could name whoever they wanted to, so they offered me the job oh, wow. over the phone. <laughs> I mean, I still had to come in and do like a little mini right, audition right. and meet the faculty and do things like that, but it was it was a done deal before I got here. So I, you know, I decided to, to come back to NAC, you know, and, and, and to teach here. And even though there were no promises that were made, you know, I could have applied for the job and gotten beaten out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but I, again, going back to that never what ifing myself, yeah. I just said, you know, if I stayed at Coronado and I didn't apply for the job, or if I stayed at Coronado and applied for the job and didn't get it, I would always say to myself, what if? What if you'd have gone yeah. and been a visiting professor that year? And, you know, and it just, so, you know, it, it, um, not, you know, and it was, it was a hard decision. It was a massive pay cut. Massive yeah. pay cut, and um, but it but it ended up working out because my predecessor had also been at the Methodist Church, so that position was open, and and I actually, funny story, uh, Scott Harris, who was the interim uh, director of the School of Music, called me and was getting ready to offer me the job officially, and I said, Scott. I've got to call you back because <laughs> First United Methodist is calling me right now, and whether or not they hire me is going to determine whether or not I can accept this position from you. 
I said, so I'm going to have to call you back. And I was like, I think that's the first time ever that somebody's going to get a, get a job offer. And they say, hey, I got to call you back <laughs> to see if I can tell you yes or yeah. not. You know, yeah. so. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's it's it, it's worked out, and I made I made the right decision. Nice. Um, yeah, I think you um, you're the first guest on the podcast that I've had who has had experience teaching um, in public school mm-hmm. as well as making the transition to university teaching. So talk a little bit about that and um, some of the pros and cons of each. And because a lot of, I think a lot of students um, coming out of their undergraduate degrees, of course, go into public school teaching first and mm-hmm. maybe go back and forth between whether or not they would want to make that leap right. into university life. So um, talk to those people and uh, talk uh, on your experience with both. Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I miss teaching high school. I loved high school kids. People think I'm weird when I say that, but <laughs> there's... There's something about the neediness of kids yeah. at that age that really appeals to me. You know, they're they're at a they're at a stage in their life where they need somebody to be a strong, maybe not parental figure, but just just a strong figure. Yeah, but yep. a, a strong a strong figure in their life, someone who um, who loves them but holds them accountable at the same time. Um, I really, I really miss that. Yeah. I, I do not miss parents. <laughs> I miss the kids too. <clears throat> yeah. I feel the same, right. same way I don't, about the I don't, parents. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't miss some mom calling you and saying, "Well, you know, I took piano for 14 years." Okay, so that yeah. means you can teach my class as well. Yeah. As well. You know, yeah. and I don't, I don't miss um, administration who don't. Who have no understanding of what we do or appreciation for it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and um, which my, that's not a blanket statement. No, there no, are no, some. no, no, it is not because my last job. Part of the reason why I loved working at Coronado is because the principal that I worked for, he told me he said, I sang in Ken Fulton's Coronado Chorale when I went to school here, and he said next to my dad, Ken Fulton is the most influential man in my life. And he Same. said, so Todd, yeah. this is the most important hire that I've made in the five years that I've been the principal here. And I just hired the head football coach two years ago. This one is personal for me. Yeah. So yeah. he said, I'm going to get this one right. So and some of them get it. Yeah. On some the of them, whole, most, mo- most, most of them, <laughs> most, mo- most of them don't. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, you want to work for a principal who's not going to tell you how to do your job. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't know anything about running a now. Now, some of them were former coaches, so they understand about running programs. programs. They do do yeah. that, but they don't understand the way we go about things. They don't understand that we're not there for entertainment value mm-hmm. only, mm-hmm. and and that 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 can be frustrating. But most of the principals that I worked for were great. Um, the worst batch of principals that I worked for were, were in all in Seguin <laughs> ISD. It was a, it was a very frustrating in the Austin area. Uh, San Antonio. San Antonio area. Yeah, the, the Austin okay. the Austin area principals uh, were great. The guy who hired me there said, "You've got a coach's mentality." I'm an old head basketball coach. And he said, "You've got a coach's mentality. You're going <laughs> you're going to coach your choir." He said, "That's what I'm that's what I'm looking for." And um, 
<clears throat> and then and then when he left, uh, they hired a lady that she and I are just the best of friends. And really, she cried when I re- resigned and left for Lubbock. Oh. You know, so um, I, I miss that part of it. I miss, um, you know, it's. Um, it's something that sticks with those kids forever. Yeah. And um, and you never know what what day or what sentence mm-hmm. or what piece of advice you're going to give them that's going to change something completely right. for them. You know that you think is completely inconsequential, but for them it might change the direction of their whole <laughs> outlook on life. Right. For, yeah. <laughs> you know. And you know, and it you know, and it's. Um, I mean, I had kids who would volunteer to stay after school oh, to, help yeah. me, to help me set up for the concert because if they went home, they knew their parents wouldn't bring them back. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, I dealt with some of that. It's you know, yeah, sad. Yeah, so you just, you, you just never know. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the university level, um, the pros of it, are, you know, that you, you really get to apply everything that you've learned in school, you yeah. know, with that job, you mm-hmm. know, I mm-hmm. you get to score study. Use your big boy skills. Yeah, you know, you're right, <laughs> right. You, you, you get you get to score study. You you know, and um, the process is so much faster. Yeah. So you can do more music. Um. You know it. That part of it. You know. What is, is the um, experience with the students like in? You talked a little bit about how, yeah, it's how a, it is it's, with high school it's, students. It's, it's, it's different, and, and it's an adjustment period for when you first get there because they don't, the young adults don't need you the way yeah. the 15 and 16-year-olds do. Yeah. You know? I found and, myself, you know, going from band directing to, which, you know, I'm not professor level, but still working with mm-hmm. college-age students. It's I had to pull myself back a whole lot yeah. because... It's not that you baby those high school and middle yeah. school kids, but there's a certain level of, uh, you know, of scaffolding that yeah. you don't right. have to do at this right. level anymore. And, and yeah. I, I still kind of catch myself going, okay, and it's I don't a, need to tell them that. Right. And it's, and it's, an, it's an adjustment. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it is. It is. Yeah. It's an adjustment. And, um, I mean, you know, the, the schedule is great. The fact that you don't have weekly yeah. staff meetings. You know, you have yeah. a meeting once a month, and it's an hour. You know, you, you don't have to wait up at the schoolhouse till right. <laughs> all hours of the night waiting for kids to get rides home. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You know, and um, you know, and, and and you know, so I mean, there it, it uh, four weeks at Christmas and long, long summers. You know that that can allow you to. To do research or, or or delve into interests that you have musically, right. you know that you can't do. What people don't understand, you know, when they go into this music ed thing, is that five to ten percent of your job is standing up in front of your group and conducting them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're basically the CEO. If you're a head director, you're basically the CEO of a small company. Right, exactly. You have to deal with the booster club. You have to deal with parents in the booster club, parents not mm-hmm. in the booster club. You Finance. Ha- you have to deal with finances. And what, what, you know, being bad at what you do 
like being a if you get threes every year at UIL, which I don't, I would consider that to not be very good if, if that's what your career is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get threes and fours at UIL for your career and not get fired. Yeah. Come, come up, come up fifteen hundred dollars short on a deposit. Yeah. You're going to lose your job. Yep. You know. Definitely. And look at a kid a wrong way. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get you booted you know, faster and, than anything else. You know, so, um, you know, here I can focus on teaching music, you know, and um, and I get to, you know, I get to recruit, which I loved recruiting when I taught, you know, every, every program that I ever directed grew a lot. And, um... What's your secret if you had to give a secret for recruitment? Because that's one. I'm, that's I'm, a huge I'm, thing in public school. I'm just me all the time, <laughs> you know. And my, my, that year that I was at Coronado, it was the the largest choir that I ever inherited. We had about 190, 195 kids, which is a decent size program. But we had 280 on the books for that next year when I left, and we had 120 incoming freshmen. Wow. And I I had more time to get over to the middle schools than I ever had. Um, we had the middle school um, staff bust their kids over and watch a, UI, a Monday night UIL rehearsal, you know, yeah. uh, so they could see what groups they were going to be in, you know, and, and that really was a, was a big thing. But I'm just... I'm just kind of a, a goofy guy, and I give. I, I I'm a nickname giver, <laughs> so like you know, yeah. um, and and sometimes you know it's it's over stuff that people go, <gasps> you know, and you know I had a I had a girl one time who was five foot four and wore a size twelve shoe. Bless her heart. <laughs> yes, and I called her Frodo. Oh, you know, and you but know, as long as they feel like oh, it's yeah. coming well, from yeah, right. love, yeah, not you not know? me, not it's me. It's all you know, about building like the a two, rapport. The, the, the two little girl who her her nostrils look like two little slits, so I called her Voldemort. <laughs> you know, and she, you know, she was an eighth grader. You know, and uh, and so like I I would she wouldn't see me, and I'd walk up behind her and go. <laughs> you know, I start speaking parcel oh tongue God. to her, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and the thing is, a lot of times I give those nicknames when I do all region clinics, I give kids nicknames because I can't remember their name. There's a bunch of kids and I'm yeah. horrible with names to begin with. Yeah. And but but, you know, but I um, but you know, like, hey, scarf girl, you know, this girl would wear a scarf all the time. So I'd call her scarf girl, you know, <laughs> she goes, my name's Mariah, you know, and I said, OK, scarf girl. Thanks for that. You know, then we go. And then I would say, hey, Mariah, she, no, I'm scarf girl, you know. And so they, you know, they they like the, yeah. you know, they they like they like the nicknames because it, you know, it makes them realize that you don't just see them as a number in their choir. Yeah. You know, yeah. that there's something about them that makes them unique mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I was just, I was just really, you know, good at making those kids realize that when they got to the high school, that they needed to be a part of something great. And the dark choral program was great. And, you know, and, and oftentimes kids are like, oh, I'm like, okay, so you've got, your electives next year 
are like French, you know, some high form of math, you know, and they were like all, they were just taking eight regular classes. And I said, why don't you sign up for choir next year? And I said, the worst thing that could happen is, I said, you don't have to love it forever. Take it for the year. And the worst thing that could happen to you is you got your, you got your fine arts credit out of the way. And I ended up getting a lot of kids who ended up staying in programs because they, they really, really liked it, you know? And, um, one of the great things about teaching in a community like Seguin was you all went to the same grocery store, you Mm -hmm. all, you know, and you'd bump into each other and it was very much so, uh, Hey Susie, Katie's acting up again, you know? Yeah. Small, small town. Yeah. Veronica's doing great, but Katie, you know, she's (laughs) acting up, you know, that's a real family, you know? And, uh, you know, and you know, and you just you you have you just have to be yourself, you know, and because kids can, if you're disingenuous, kids pick up on it mm-hmm. right away. Oh yeah, if they, they can if, see right through yes. you. Yes, and every um, time. you know, and they they don't do well with fakes. No, they, they, you know, and uh, one of my principals said, you know, they they don't they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And uh, the days of commanding respect from day one or demanding respect from day one, those are over. Oh, they have way too much exposure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like kids nowadays, whether you think of this as a negative or a positive, they're they're much more Mm self-aware of themselves and of others. And you just can't get away with barking at them anymore. You know, because I think that they have a sense that I think younger kids understand what respect means mm-hmm. more than what they used to think respect meant. Because yeah. they, they see things on the news and they see mm-hmm. things on social media and they, they have a better understanding of what yeah. it means to be respected and to know how to respect other people. Well, and You just can't get away <coughs> with stuff anymore. No. <laughs> like and, they used to. And a, and a lot of times, you know, you'll get, you'll get messages from kids five to ten years down the road you know and it'll be stuff like hey I stumbled across these old recordings that we had of, of this and that and we had no idea that we were this good when we were in school we were so lucky you know to and and the thing that you have to understand is you you, you know as the teacher you need to realize how lucky you are to have those kids you're lucky to have each other it's not you know, oh, they're so lucky to have me, or I'm just lucky to have them. Y'all are lucky to have each other because I've always felt that all we are facilitators. Yeah. The kids have to do it. Yeah. So you have to, and and the the thing is, even though that that like that that Coronado transition was a little shaky at first, you know, because kids don't trust you as soon as you walk through the door. And quite frankly, we don't trust them because we don't know them. And, you know, but, but a friend of mine came to the, to the Christmas concert, somebody who I had known for years, and he's actually on the faculty at Sam Houston now. And he said, hey, man, they're at least singing for you. He said, they're singing for you, which tells me everything that I need to know. He said, second semester is going to be gravy. You know, and so even though there's, you know, 
there's uncertainty when you go into a new situation. Mm-hmm. If you go in there and you handle yourself with class mm-hmm. and treat them with dignity yeah. and, and understand that it's hard for them to have a different person in front of them. And that you have to be aware of that. You have to be respectful of that. And you have to go in there and just try to win them over yeah. the best that you can by being yourself, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but if they, if they, and if you do those things, they'll work for you. Right. They, they won't fight you too hard. How, um, how do you, <clears throat> which I think this probably depends on, Every, everybody's different as a teacher you know I think people are better with certain age groups mm-hmm. than others but how do you manage to build that relationship and that rapport with university students when um, you know some of them may I don't want to paint anybody into a corner mm-hmm. but you know there are so many different personalities and, and different ideas of how good they are mm-hmm. here and this and that and then also you don't have that there's sort of a team building aspect to mm-hmm. preparing for UIL yeah. it's sort of like going into battle together and there's not that that thing going on in university yeah uh, as, choir. As, a, and as a matter of fact so that's my most jealous time of the year yeah <laughs> when I when I see my friends posting pictures of their students with their five yeah. sweepstakes trophies and stuff like that and to go through that it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a special time yeah. well and, you know it's it's so how do you how do you get that that group that team mentality and well, a good rapport with all of your university students without all of those experiences well you know and in, in in my groups i think it's kind of you know i I'm fortunate in that I have the two groups that are not the flagship ensembles of the program. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And those those students who were in those groups, when they're with me, they know that they've got my attention 100%. They don't feel like they feel like they're, the experience that they're getting is, is just as great as they would get if they were in that flagship program because I'm demanding that they sing at that level, that they perform at that level, that they that they do things, you know, that we do everything as a group and that oftentimes, you know, even though we may not have all the raw talent because there's non-majors in there as well, you know, but we can still have a group that, that um, the what is it the the whole is greater than the the sum of the parts parts, you know and um and it you know you um it is different than 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 high school but but i think they still want you to know or they still want to know that everything that you do is for their betterment yeah is to is to help them to help them get better And, you know, and, and those kids, you know, who, who then are, are music ed students, you know, that they get out there and they, and they start teaching because I follow them. I take them all the way through. I observe them during their student teaching. You know, I help prepare them to be teachers. And they realize that when you get out there in, in the real world that it starts all over again. Yeah. It's just like when you go to high <laughs> school, it doesn't matter if you made Allstate or not. You're it's gonna, a whole other ball game. It's a whole other ball game, and when you get out there and you start teaching, 
you know. And I mean, I guarantee you, in, in y'all's world, that there have been kids who were first chair probably from the time that they were freshmen, mm-hmm. and they were not successful band directors. Oh yeah. And then there's kids. <laughs> then there's kids who never made the wind ensemble here who've gone out and they're a dynamic middle school director or a dynamic yeah. high school director. Yeah, most of the most of the award winning band directors right. that I know never made the all state band. Right. And well, it never made a difference. Right. And but but <laughs> but, but back to that rapport sense. thing, I think the same thing with, with college students, you know, you you just have to be true to who you are. You know, and um you know, you you. There is, I mean, there is there is a separation, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there has to be enough of an opening that they can come and confide in you to, you know, to talk to you about career choice, you know, and things like that. And some some kids, you know, need to have a kick in the pants kick in the pants that's right and and, and other kids you have to look at them and say I hope one day that you'll believe in yourself as much as I believe in you oh yes I I feel like I have that conversation (laughs) on a weekly basis (laughs) right and um, you know it's um, it 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 is different Um, you know and me I'm I'm a hey you know What'd y'all do this weekend? Anything fun? I mean, I'm not trying to pry, but just, you know, yeah. or, you know, or, hey, where are you working? How's your job going? I heard you got a new job. You know, just just so they know that it's more than you're just a number mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, one of the things that I love about teaching at SFA, you know, is we get the fact that, and I use this when I, because I recruit the parents as well as I re- recruit the students. I say, oh, yeah. you're going to drop them off at their dorm. And you're going to go back to Houston, or you're going to go back to Dallas, or you're going to go back to Corpus, or, you know, somebody's got to look Take over care. them while they're here. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. Yeah. And um, so. I hope that answered yeah, that question. Yeah, it so. did. Um, I I'd like to kind of dive into a little bit your some of your personal experiences um, as a student and as a professional. Um, talk about some of your. They can be either setbacks or struggles or maybe some experiences that you might not have anticipated coming up against uh, in your journey to get to where you mm-hmm. are. Um, I think everybody has the sense that uh, their mentors and teachers have had it so easy and mm-hmm. that all the stuff that they're dealing with is not uh, unique or is, is unique to them. So share with us anything that that comes to your mind. Well, um, I've had a lot more setbacks than I've had successes, you know. And uh, now it's always ended up working out the way it needed to be in the as end. It, as it always does seem yeah, to Yeah, you know, and, and I, you know, I, <clears throat> when I got out of my undergrad, my first teaching job was in Amarillo. And I was half a day at Tascosa High School in the morning with Billy Talley, National ACDA 
level choir, and my afternoons were at Amarillo High with Danny Hood, National ACDA level choir. Danny Hood was TMEA president at that time. And there was an assistant band director whose last name was Wirtz, too. I taught with Gary Wirtz's younger brother, Chris. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And um, so my, my friends were uh, really jealous of that job, you know. And <clears throat> parts of that job were great. Parts of that job were not, you know. And so... I, I I moved to Longview for a year to transition, you know, uh, into my master's degree, because my my wife at the time uh, she was looking to transfer to SFA so she could study with Dr. Jones, mm-hmm. my voice teacher, and then finish her last three years at SFA, and then the last two years we'd be in school together. And uh, when I when I graduated with my master's, I had big plans for myself. I was going to go. <laughs> Don't land, we all? <laughs> I was going to go. I was going to go land a big program. Yeah. I was going to go land a big program, and um, get three years worth of really good recordings, and then I was going to apply for doctoral schools, and I was going to have my doctorate finished by the time I was thirty-seven years old. That was my goal. <laughs> You know, and well, I I applied for four jobs. Three of them were really good jobs, and I was the runner-up for all three of those jobs. I was the guy that they said, "Okay, if we if we we offered the job to somebody, if they turn uh-huh. us down, you're the guy uh-huh. we're going to call." I'm glad that you brought this up because this brings us back to the pin that I put in this conversation. Yeah. So continue. Okay. <laughs> and so we, um, and when I interviewed for the job in Seguin, program was in shambles. They'd had 18 choir directors in five years. They went through a couple of years where they had full time subs, and it was just, mm-hmm. it was just in, and the whole, you know, 280 mile drive home back to Nacogdoches from Seguin. I was going, please God, don't make me take that job. Please God. And in in and in my you just my, my my guts, I was just like, ah, 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 that's the job you're gonna get, fella. <laughs> and and when they were the only one that offered me, I'll never forget I was I was distraught. I was just mm-hmm. distraught because there was no three year plan yeah. with this job. You knew and, that it was going to take longer. Oh, it was than that gonna, yeah. To get. It was it was going to be a it, it was a yeah. major project, a, a major building project. So essentially, that that job offer rerouted your whole. Well, plan. yes. Well, and and I'll tell you what. This, and I'll I'll never forget. I was sitting there on the edge of my bed, and um, my ex-wife was about six months pregnant for our son. And I needed a job. Yeah. And and I'm sitting there and I'm just really downtrodden. And she grew up in a family full of teachers, you know. So she sat down next to me and she looked at me and she said, Todd, I know you're disappointed. She said, but don't you think those kids in Seguin deserve to have a great teacher too? 
And I mean, yeah. I felt like Saul when he turned into the Apostle Paul, yeah. like the scales fell out of my eyes and it completely changed yeah. who and what, how I felt about what being a teacher was, you know, and yeah. it, um, and it completely reshaped who I was at that point because up until that point, it had been a very selfish I mean, I wasn't that way with with my kids, but my career at that point had been very, very selfish, you know, and from that moment, I, you know, I said, you arrogant, I can't say on the air what I called myself, you know, (laughs) I said, who do you think you are? So we moved to Seguin, and the first thing that I did is I called VJ Lawrence who was choir director at Seguin High School for 32 years. Diabetes forced him to retire before he wanted to. And um, and I called him and I said, Mr. Lawrence, I said, my name is Todd Fish. I'm the new choir director at Seguin High School. And I want you to know, we're gonna get this thing turned around. And you're gonna have a better feeling about this program than what you've been able to have. And he and I became the, the best friends after that, you know. And and I just told I just told everybody that I could, that would listen. We're going to turn this thing around, you know. And at first, you get there and the, you know, and those kids were like, you know, oh, this is what we have to do to be great. Okay, we don't want to have to work that hard. So you work, yeah. but you work your way through yeah. that. But it 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 completely <clears throat> changed me. And even to this day, my passion is more about preparing kids to go out and teach to go out and give thousands and thousands of kids great experiences in their in their choral program um i don't i don't burn to conduct this mozart mass or burn to conduct you know this this whatever piece by whoever i burn to show to prepare kids to from day one to have as firm of an understanding as they can about the task that they have being a teacher and, and all the great things that come from being a teacher. And and even when the time, you know, the things that even when, when the times are hard, the positives far outweigh mm-hmm. the, you know, so I, I it just it just really it, it, it changed me. That one, that one statement. <laughs> That's a beautiful story. It really is, and I, I hope that, I hope that somebody can hear that, especially as a young student, because it. I mean, as unfortunate as it is, because I think Seguin was lucky to have somebody that you know with experience and training mm-hmm. to say, okay, I'm going to take this job. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen often. Right. Often, you know, they're they end up being forced to to hire on a first or second year teacher yeah. because they can't find anybody else and and nobody and will take that no job. one will take that job um you know it becomes the director's mm-hmm. graveyard is what they right. call it and right. it's just terrible but you know <clears throat> but those those positions for those young teachers are the hardest mm-hmm. and i think to hear some encouragement yeah and, and you know that somebody well, has to be there for those kids and, no and matter I, how difficult it is and i know? will tell you the, the the hardest i ever worked in my life was when I was in Seguin. Yeah. I taught at both middle schools and the high school. I was it. I was a secondary choral person. My ex-wife taught the sixth grade campus. We were the only two choral directors in the town. And 
I, I always joke and say, I know that job took years off my life because I, ju- <laughs> I just, I just poured everything yeah. into that job, and there was there was no way that I would have been able to sustain what I was doing there for twenty years. I couldn't do it, and I look at this is my fifth year at SFA already, and I look at how fast that time has flown. The time in Seguin didn't seem like it. It seemed like mm-hmm. I was there for a really long time, mm-hmm. you know. And and six years is a long time to be somewhere. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different grind. Well, the thing that I, the thing that I if somebody's listening to this is don't be afraid to take a job of a struggling program. Yeah, they have nowhere to go but up. That's true. You know, that's true. And I'll never forget what what Tim King told me when. When I told him I'm teaching middle school and high school, I said, well, you don't have anybody to blame but yourself, do you? <laughs> and, and to be honest, the control freak side of me actually yeah. kind of liked that because my yeah. middle schoolers knew, you know, I knew I knew what I wanted them to know by the time they were freshmen. That's true. And um, but but don't be afraid of those jobs. If programs are struggling, they need you. If you're a good yeah. teacher and you're willing to go into that situation, you know, yeah. you can you can make it work. Yeah, it, you definitely mm-hmm. can get a lot of uh, mm-hmm. a lot of fulfillment a lot of fulfillment out of that right. that job in that position. What did you put the pin in earlier? Oh, um, <laughs> um, the the process of of interviewing. Oh, and um, mm-hmm. and the fact that you got lots of calls, but not a lot of offers yeah. at first. So, um, how how did that feel? And how did you combat some of those? Because I know that there, along with that, yeah. comes with some feelings of defeat and right. and frustration. And, and how well, do you keep going through that process? And also, how did you get all of the interviews in the first place? Because I think that even though yeah. you know it doesn't all come to fruition the way that you want, mm-hmm. that's that's the first step. That's the first well, <laughs> battle. I, well, you know, I I had lots of years of teaching experience on my mm-hmm. resume I had a lot of evidence of program building I had evidence of building my programs through strong literature um, good conducting pedigree you know that that got me in the door um, one thing that a lot of people don't know about me is that I am crippled with self-doubt I, every day, I, I sit in this office right now waiting for somebody to figure out that I'm the biggest fraud on the planet and that they're going to figure it out and I want to be caught. And which, it really annoys my wife because she's like, look at your career. She's well, like, I'm sure it annoys yeah. her the m- most because she is probably the person in your life that has the most faith in your ability. Oh yeah, sees oh yeah, sees yeah. The, what you truly yeah. can do. Right, and, and she and she also loves me the most, you know, and <laughs> yeah. and um, you know, so she's she's never understood it, you know. Yeah. She's like I, she's like I, I sit there and I watch you go and do a clinic, and in 15 minutes. 
that it's a completely different ensemble, but you sit there and talk about how you're mm-hmm. you're this big fraud. And I said, well, yeah, there's only like one or two things that I do well, and those are my things that I do. And she's like, I said, and her favorite statement of mine is I say, look, all I know how to do is to stand up in front of a group and make them sound good. I don't know anything else about directed choirs. She said, well, what else do you need to know about directed <laughs> choirs, you know? And, you know, so... Um, but I, but I, I do think that this is important, and and it was, and it, and there was an interview that I heard because um, there's so many correlations to what we and coaches do. Mm-hmm. And so many. Yes, and the guy who was at the school in California that had the ridiculously long winning streak, the high school, and then people like Tom Brady went to this high school and. And um, and there was an interview, and he said, oh, there are a lot. He said, I would say most head football coaches out there know a lot more about football than I do. But there are two or three things that I do as well as anybody on the planet, and those are the things that I focus on. Yeah. And, I, and I go, okay. There's a... There's 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 something that I think that I can latch on yeah, to. You yeah. know, I don't claim to know everything about everything, but what I do know, I feel I do as well as anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so I've I've kind of learned to to cope with that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you you have to go through these stages of your life where you feel comfortable in your own skin with who you are. And and even though my self doubt is still pretty strong, it's not nearly as bad as what it yeah. was when I was younger. What is your worst case scenario that feeds into that doubt? I mean, when you say I feel like a fraud, I hate it when I. I, one of the things that, that that kills me is when someone raises their hand and says, hey, I don't think we're singing that thing right in that one spot. And I beat myself up because, mm. you, know, even, you know, we score study, we tear things mm-hmm. apart. Mm-hmm. How did I miss that? Mm-hmm. You know? And, well, you know, you can't hear everything at once. Yeah. And, uh, a, friend of mine said a long time ago I wish I knew what it was about this and I'm showing her a four pattern right now a conducting pattern that causes this to happen and I'm closing my ears right now you know there's something about when yeah. you when you start conducting that you don't you know yeah yeah you shut everything out <clears throat> right sometimes. or you or yeah. you focus on a certain, one certain thing, thing you know or and, no, most of the time it's that one thing that irritates you about that one section yeah and then everything else just becomes right. secondary noise right. <laughs> and you know so i mean it's um but you you deal with it and and, and you work your way through it mm-hmm. and um I've had a job interview since then, and I feel like I've actually turned into a pretty good interview. You know, um, you have to do your homework before you go to those interviews. You know, you have to, um, you know, you have to know what about you will make yourself appealing to that job. Um, I hate 
school district especially gotcha questions. Yeah. <laughs> that name, fun. <laughs> name, a, name an instance where you use creativity to solve a problem. Come on, man. <laughs> and, you know, people sit there and, and make up an answer yeah. right on the spot. Yeah. You know, I mean, those are terrible questions, yeah. you know. But the main thing is, is you just... They called you in to interview for a reason. So you need to know what that reason and if they're, is. And, and if they're calling you in as... Because here's what you need to understand. You're not the only person applying for those jobs. There are hundreds of people applying for just about every position. Mm-hmm. When I got the job at Round Rock High School, he said he had 300 applicants. Wow. And... He, you know, and so there comes, you have to figure out, well, somebody likes how I look on paper or what I look like, you know. Um, therefore, you know, this might be getting off the track a little bit, but never burn a bridge. Yeah. Never burn a bridge. That brings me to my last interview question. Okay. Because um, I have I have to run to mm-hmm. orchestra audition. Yeah, okay. I mean, not audition. Well, uh, rehearsal. Um, I like to close out every interview by asking you to give us one um, mentor, teacher, or someone who's helped you along your education and career. Uh, it can be music or non-music. Um, somebody who's influenced you greatly. And tell us how they've influenced you. Oh, gosh. So many of those people. <clears throat> you know, um, young, in, young in my career, Tim King, the guy whose office is right across the way there, you know, he was, he was very, very important, you know. And when I was feeling down about myself and stuff like that, he always had the right thing. You know, he's a man of few words. Yes. He didn't say a whole lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, but he was always there to, to say the right thing, you know, to, to get me kind of back on track, you know. And and um, one of those situations where, you know, it's like he believed in me a lot more than I believed in myself. And, and I'll never forget, <clears throat> you know, I interviewed at a university here in Texas, a smaller school, and not a good program. And they didn't hire me. And I just said, if this school won't hire me, what university would hire me? Uh, and, and he yeah. said, well, Todd, that tells me a lot more about them than it does you, that they don't wow. want to hire you. <laughs> You know, and what a way to reframe it. Yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, you know, so I mean, he was he was he was very important to me. You know, and a, a lot of those mentors, you know, uh, David Jones has passed away. You know, but he was just so influential in the way I thought I think about teaching, and mm-hmm. you know, and combining vocal skills in the choral rehearsal. You know, and how important that is, and you know, and and, and there's just been a been a lot of people you know and and I was one of those young guys that I always like talking to the old guys yeah they've seen it all <laughs> they've seen it all you know and Mike Ware you know 
you know, who legendary high school choir director, you know, saying stuff like, you listen to me, they won't hate you for holding your feet to holding their feet to the fire. They'll hate you for allowing them to suck <laughs> because they won't respect you. Yeah, yeah. They may like you as a person, but they're not going to respect you as a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, and just, and I'm just one of those guys that I just remembered everything that those old guys said to me and I took everything that they said and I just threw it all all together in my side. Because I'll tell you what, I know I knew a lot more at twenty four than I do at forty six right now. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That you know, well there's there's yeah. that old there's that old adage that when you finish your undergrad, you know it all. Yeah. Then you do that master's degree and you're like, Wow, I I really don't know as much as I thought I did. Oh. Then yeah. you finish that doctorate and you go I don't know anything at all. Ah, uh, yes. But neither does anybody else. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah. you know, so it's it's one of those things where you know you just have to continually get better, mm-hmm. and and over time, hopefully, you become more humble. And and I'm I always embrace new ideas. I I, I told my student teachers, you guys will never catch me knowledge wise here's why because I watch things that y'all do that you're cooperating teacher talk and I go okay I'm stealing that I'm taking that <laughs> I said because I'm already I, I keep adding on to the things that I already had this is why you'll never catch me <laughs> you know yeah. so um, you know but all of those people you know and there are people out there with a, that have a wealth of experience don't be afraid talk to them they're itching to talk to you they're itching to help oh, yeah. you don't let your pride get in the way of your student success mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay yeah so let them let let those people help you nice awesome words of wisdom <laughs> thank you dr fish for yeah. sitting down with us and talking thank you today. thank you this was fun it was a pleasure what a great conversation with Dr. Fish. Um, there's so many things that we covered, and I hope that if you are a current or future music educator that you got something out of that. Um, I know that I did. And if you have any thoughts about what we discussed today, please give me a shout. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash perfectly imperfect musician. Um, you can also go on iTunes and um, subscribe to Perfectly Imperfect Musician and leave a comment or a rating. Uh, let me know how I'm doing. Let me know what you think. And if there's anything that you want to hear on uh, these discussions monthly, I would love to hear your thoughts and suggestions. Um, also, if you, d- if you don't have iTunes, you can still find me on SoundCloud and um, subscribe to the podcast on that medium as well. And um, so I know that this is a monthly podcast and that that means that I'm not talking to as many guests as I I have been before changing the format. But once again, I'm going to extend the invitation that if you know somebody that you're interested in hearing uh, an interview from uh, in the music world, it can be a music educator, a public 
figure, a gigging musician, a composer, um, a public school teacher, please let me know. I'm always excited to get some ideas and talk to new people and and uh, share their thoughts and experiences with all of you. So thank you so much for tuning in this month. Um, if you would like to fill out a survey, a survey, those will be on the show notes. So there will be four links to all four of the surveys available. I'm really needing some new surveys because I'm running low at the moment. So go on there and fill one out. It takes less than a minute per survey. So you can fill out one or all of them and um, it'll be fun to to read what you guys have to say. So as always, thank you and um, stay inspired, stay motivated, be brave, go out and do something that you're not used to doing. Um, Don't be scared to go outside of the box and challenge yourself, embrace the stress, love what you do, and I will see you guys next month. Take care. Bye.